Amen. Good to see each of you out for the Bible hour this evening, the worship Sunday night worship hour. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and celebrate you and praise you and sing unto you. I pray that it would be you that ministers to our hearts tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The next song we're going to sing is out of our hymn book. It's called Pass It On. How many of you know this song? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. How many of you know this one? Okay, a lot of you do. So those of you who don't, we're going to learn it tonight. Uh, and there's only two verses that we're going to sing to it. Uh, but it goes like this. It only takes a spark to get a fire
right, if you would take your Bibles with me and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and as you know, we are in a month of missions emphasis. And so my title for this evening's Bible study ties right into missions. Walking a mile in a missionary's moccasins. So if you used to watch the old Western shows, you know, you'd hear them talk about, well, if you could walk a mile in their boots. Now, if it was a Cherokee Indian, you'd say, if you could walk a mile in their moccasins, then you would know what their life was like, right? You could relate to them. Um, so when we come to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 24, what we find is an opportunity to, to put ourselves into the life of the Apostle Paul, a missionary, as he talks about his desires, his, his vision, his, his desires for his disciples, and his missions works. Because that's what Paul did. Paul traveled and journeyed, planting churches, training individuals to then pastor those churches so that he could move on. But also we find that he did multiple missions trips, and that's because he would go back and recheck on those churches. And so the epistles you have in your New Testament are a number of the letters back and forth with those churches that he started as a missionary. Here in Philippians chapter 2, that's exactly what we find. We're going to pick it up in verse 12 down through 24, and we're going to look at and relate to the Apostle Paul as a missionary. Listen as I read to you verses 12 down. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. This morning we had Brother Buna Haas, our missionary to Cambodia. As he preached, he referenced the discipleship that he does with the men in the church or the men that they win to Christ. And today as we were driving down to have lunch, I asked T, I said, now, T. Buna referenced 
his work in discipling the men, helping to prepare them, hoping that some of them would prepare for the ministry and be able to take over those churches that you guys have started. But what do you do, T? And so T described to me how that she disciples and works with the ladies that they win to Christ and how she works with the children's ministries and tries to train those ladies to be able to teach Sunday school and junior church and primary church and Bible clubs. So they're both continually discipling so that they can raise up individuals to continue on the work of the ministry. And to be honest with you, that's not just a missionary's job, that's every minister's job. To help disciple and to help prepare folks to step up into that place where they're teaching and they're carrying on the work of the ministry. Here, when we see the Apostle Paul, we find him writing to the church in Philippi, and he's really talking, even as Bunahas did this morning, or any pastor would, about preparing others for the work of the ministry. We see that he is deeply concerned about his converts' daily lives. The apostle is writing to the church in Philippi saying, listen, I'm concerned about some issues there. Let's talk about them. So look with me at verses 14 and 15. And what does he say to the people there? The people who he's one of Christ, he's established a church, he's gone ahead and appointed somebody a pastor there, he's moved on, now he's writing back to them and he's saying, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So here in verses 14 and 15, he says to them, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about an aspect of your church, of your ministry, of your community, maybe of your behavior, your habits. And what's he going to talk to them about? When we look at verse 14, he talks to them about murmurings and disputings. And that's because it, whether it's a small church that they're just planting, like Bunahas talked about the villages that they go back into in Cambodia. They drive up there and they start with just one or two families. And then from there they hope that those families will reach other families. And they hope they begin to influence the whole village. But he told me, he says, it's very difficult because it's a Buddhist country. Their national religion is Buddhism. So what happens is they come into a town and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they win somebody to Christ. So we'll say that, you know, George gets saved in this Buddhist community there, then all of a sudden his wife is looking at him and saying, what are you, a traitor to our country? You know our national religion is Buddhism, not Christianity. And so next thing you know, he told me, he says, there's wife against husband, or you lead a teenager to Christ, there's parents against the teenager, or the parents become Christians, the teenagers are turning on their parents because in their country they're ta taught that Buddhism is their identity religiously, politically, historically. It's their identity. So when they stop being a Buddhist, not only do they give up the national religion, 
Buddhism is often linked to ancestor worship. So it's considered an offense against their dead parents and grandparents. So it's a lot of work to begin to minister to them and to just win one here and one there and to begin to see them come to salvation. Paul writes to this church of Philippi and he says, listen, we have a problem. And the problem is there's some murmuring and disputing. And can somebody tell me if there's murmuring and disputing, what does that, what's that, what's the outcome of that? Division. Division. Louis is exactly right. Disunity and, and discontent. It breeds discontent and disunity. And so the apostle is writing to them. Uh, the word murmuring is, comes from the Greek word gongusmos, and it means to mutter and secret complaining. If you've raised kids, you, you know what muttering is, don't you? You know, you, you tell them, listen, you, did you get the dishes done? I'm not sure I heard you. What'd you say? Maybe you don't want to know. That muttering, that muttering, secret complaining. But he doesn't end it with murmuring. He goes on and he uses the, the term disputing which comes from the Greek word dialogismos, and it's a strong use of the word, the most strong edge of the word. And it means critical questioning or arguing. So he's saying there's a problem, and you need to make sure you are not part of the problem. Because as, as that missionary goes into that town, that village, that community, and he wins people to Christ, he has to have a unified congregation to spread the gospel without disunity and division. So he writes to them and he's stirring them to really contemplate and consider what is their daily life like. When they go out into their neighborhood, when they go out into their rice party, uh, patty in Cambodia, or whether, uh, you know, whatever it is in that town, that, that shop, or that store, or that business, if there's murmuring and complaining and disputing about the congregation, then that just creates a poor testimony, doesn't it? So he's writing to the church and he's telling them, as his missionary, he's saying, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you be what? Blameless. Blameless. So what does it mean that somebody's blameless? The, the structure of the word in the original language means somebody that can't be pointed at. It means you, you aren't the one that they point to, to blame for whatever has transpired. It should be that you and I avoid the very appearance of evil. So that we're not the one that they say, aha, that one right there. They're the one that was doing that. Blameless, not the one drawn out of the crowd as guilty. So he's saying to them, I need you to lay aside the murmurings and the disputings, the arguing, the contention, the, the under your breath discontent one with another. He says, because I need you to be that person that they're not pointing out and saying, well, that person's a malcontent. They're a discontent. They're a divider. There's, there's somebody who works against the cause instead of for the cause. He says, I need you to be blameless. 
But what's he going to say? He gives us the next one. And to be what? Harmless. Because murmuring and disputing creates harm, doesn't it? It hurts people. Um, I tell folks, if you really want to make a difference, talk to the people who can make a difference. doesn't do any good to talk to everybody else. Amen? You know, if Sandra, Joe, and I have a disagreement, it's not going to do me any good to go and tell John that Sandra, Joe, and I are having a disagreement. Because there's nothing John can do about it. Right? Nope. Yeah. See? And it's the same thing. Say, say in my office, say I ask Ashley to do a project, and Ashley does the project, and say she thinks to herself, what a waste of time this is. Who should she come to? You. you. Me. Which she would. She'd come right to me and say, Pastor, this is a waste of time. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. She wouldn't. She'd be much more Louisiana gracious than that. Um, but you and I in our lives, we know that when things are, when things are said and done, they can hurt, can't they? Words can truly cut. And some of those wounds are the hardest wounds to heal. And so that's what Paul, as the missionary, is saying to this church in Philippi. He's saying, this murmuring and disputing, you need to stop. Because that is hurting you. And you need to be blameless. Don't let me point you out. And you need to be harmless. Because it's the cause of Christ that we're working for. You need to stop doing harm to others. But look at what he goes on to say. He says to them, They may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without what? Rebuke. Without rebuke. Because murmuring and disputing leads to what? Rebuke. Somebody eventually, somewhere, some, somewhere down the pipe is going to look at you and say, What in the world? Why did you say that? Why would you say that and hurt somebody like that? Or, or why would you say that and cause that division and that confrontation? Why would you do that? You end up rebuked. Now... You're the one who's pointed out. Now you, you feel bad because you're the guy at the, at the end. So as this missionary writes to his church that he started and he helped establish, he wants them to understand we have a greater good than just our own little petty likes or dislikes. You know, the Bible teaches you and I as Christians, we should not be easily offended. It's so important. It should be that we're thick-skinned, that we, that we love one another more than pettiness. And so as he writes to this church as a missionary, you see his heart. He really cares about this congregation. And he sees that they have a difficulty here, murmuring, disputing. It's causing harm and hurt. People are rebuking one another for doing it. So listen to what he says as we come down a little bit farther in verse 15, because he wants to place us in a circumstance. He says that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, remember, we're the children of God, without rebuke. But he places us in the time and circumstance 
by saying, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So he takes the excuse away of the church in Philippi. Because he's talking to them about, stop your murmuring and disputing. Stop your complaining and whining. Stop all that. And they're getting ready to say, well, wait, wait. You don't understand our circumstance. And Paul cuts them off. He says, listen, I know that we live in a crooked and perverse world. And how many of you would say we live in a crooked and perverse world today? Man, if you don't think you live in a crooked and perverse world, you got you to at least turn the news on. Because we live in a crooked and perverse world today. But our excuse is removed because God says, I fully recognize that you live in a crooked and perverse world. They fully recognized that they were living in a crooked and perverse world. But what does he want them to do about that? He wants them to shine as lights in the world. And that's really what he's going to address from the end of verse 15 all the way down to verse 18. He's going to transition from talking about this murmuring and disputing that's causing hurt and difficulty and conflict. And he's going to transition to... We need to be better than that as Christians. Because we are the, the light of the world. You and I are supposed to be that candle up upon the hilltop. You and I are supposed to be that light that shines upon the gospel message. So he warns them. He says, I completely understand that you live in a crooked and perverse nation. However, he is expressing now his deep concern about their personal testimony. He's already dealt with their daily living. He says, I need you to live a life that is without blame. I need you to live a life where people can't point you out as the problem, but rather you're the solution. You are the light. And it's important for us to remember that. We are that light that is beaming the signal toward Jesus Christ. Um, Sandra, Joe, and I were talking, I think it was, was either last evening or this morning, we were talking about the Christian radio station, The Light. Do any of you know about the Christian radio station, The Light? And so in our area, they're, they're getting ready to buy, they're trying to buy the signal and the, the rights to broadcast out of Middlebury, both an AM and FM station. Right, right in Middlebury. Because I've asked people, I've said, and I asked John the other day, didn't I ask you, John, do you listen to the light? And he said, well, no, I, I have other means. And I asked Santa Joe, do you listen to the light? She said, I try, but oftentimes I can't get the signal. When I'm driving along, it drops, it's frustrating. And, and so they're trying to bring a strong Christian signal to Middlebury to reach our community. Why? Because we need to get that beam of light out. Not only to the ears, but to the hearts, to the minds of people. And here Jesus Christ 
is, is challenging us through the inspired word of God to be that testimony that we need to be. The same thing with the church in Philippi all the way back then in that crooked and perverse nation. He says, you need to shine as lights in the world. Look with me at verse 16, the very first part. How do we shine forth as the lights of the world? He says, hold forth the word of life. Hold forth the word of life. I told you the other day, I went to Home Depot and I asked him, I said, where's the books you guys used to have, you know, that showed you how to wire and plumb and build a deck or whatever you want to do? And the guy told me, yeah, we don't carry those anymore. He says, actually, I was looking for one the other day. He said, I had to go online. So that's really our generation, isn't it? Going online. But it's not enough for us to tell people when it comes to the word of God, just go online. That's not enough. No, we have to be a real connection. We've got to have a relationship. You see, I don't, think, I don't necessarily need to have a relationship with my plumber to get him to do some plumbing, although it's pretty tough to get a plumber to do plumbing today because they're so busy. But I mean, I, I, what's my relationship with him? It's a monetary relationship, isn't it? Yeah. But when it comes to the gospel, it's not monetary. I can't, I can't pay Yvonne to be a Christian because... It's a personal relationship that she needs to have with Jesus Christ. I have to influence that neighbor through the word of God that this is the life-transforming, eternal life-sending truth. And so as, as Paul writes this under the inspiration of God, he tells them, I need you to be a shining light in the world. I need you to hold forth the word of life. We hold the word of life. Yes, eternal life, but also the abundant life. Uh, Kim has a business, Love Life? Love and Life. Love and Life. Love and Life. And Sandy and I were talking about that yesterday or this morning, I can't remember. Our conversations blend. And we were talking about Kim's business and Kim was talking to Sandra Joe and told her, well, you know what? My faith is a big part of what I do when I work with people to have a healthy life. Part of that healthy life is the spiritual life. Is that what you told her, Kim? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when we look at this, all of a sudden God says to us, and he's saying as a missionary then, as, as the Apostle Paul is inspired to put this in there, he's saying to us, listen, the message I need you to shine forth as the light unto the world is the message of the word of life. Those people around you need life. They, they need abundant life here and they need eternal life there. And whether it's a Bunahas in Cambodia or whether it's another missionary in Europe or Africa or wherever it may be, South America, we have to understand that our testimony needs to be clear enough to be a light on the word of life. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 16. 
holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He wants them to understand he's vested in this. The Apostle Paul, he is vested in ministry. It's just like me. I have spent my life ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the time I was, uh, you know, I, I went to college when I was 20. I don't know, I've almost forgotten how old I was back then. Sandra Joe and I got married, and I guess I went to college at 19. And we got married when I was 21. I graduated that uh, when I was 22. And I have been in the ministry ever since, 22 years old. That's just a baby, isn't it, Doris? Mm, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm vested. The Apostle Paul was vested in the work of the ministry. Brother John, when he got out of college and, and him and Hannah got married and then did their honeymoon in the Cape and then they moved to Vermont. Vested in the ministry. And so... What the Lord is saying here through the inspired word of God is you and I, when we serve him, when we shine the light on that word of light, he says, listen, I want you to understand you have not done that in vain. You've not wasted your time because the scriptures teach us that God's word shall not return unto him void. Yesterday when we went out and we just gave out these simple little invitations to boys and girls to come to Sunday school or Awana. We might not get even one call. I don't know. But with every one of those invitations went a little ABC gospel track. And my hope is that that little boy or that little girl in that household, I'm hoping that mom and dad let them see their invitation and get their gospel. Or maybe that mom and dad sat and read it. Or maybe grandma and grandpa or aunt or uncle or who knows where, when, or why. Somebody picks up that simple gospel track and they read the word of life. Missionaries, they are just hoping and praying that they're going to make one difference in one soul one at a time. Just reaching, ministering, reaching, ministering. And who could that be? It could be any one of us, couldn't it? I've told you many times, I didn't receive Christ until I was 16 years old. I didn't even know anybody that was a Christian before I was 16 years old. I knew people who went to church now and then, but I didn't know a Christian. It wasn't until I was working a construction summer job that some guy started talking to me about Jesus Christ, who truly I knew nothing about other than people cursed. They said his name, cursing, and I knew that he was somewhere in the Bible. That's all I knew. But I needed a guy on a work site while I'm digging and he's sitting on the backhoe. He'd shut that backhoe off and he would talk to me about Jesus Christ. Now he still expected me to dig. But he also expected me to listen. And he shined the light on the word of life. And through the course of an entire summer into the fall. Because I was not, I was, I was not gung-ho for this. I was a teenager. 
But all of a sudden, it just started to penetrate my heart and my soul. And by the time fall came, he invited me to church. I'm sure he invited me many times, but I finally heard it when I was back in the high school. He came by, invited me to a Bible study, and invited me to church, and I finally went and received Christ as my Savior. But it changed my life. One person, he made such an influence upon me that I have lived for Christ ever since I was 19 years old. When you look here in this text, you find the apostle pouring forth. You and I are walking in the moccasins of a missionary as we look into his writing and hear the heartbeat he has for this mission church that he has planted in Philippi. He comes down and listen to what he says in verse 17 because he wants to talk to us. He wants to continue to talk to us about uh, his desire to make a difference. He says, I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain, as long as you are holding forth the word of life. Verse 17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What's he saying? He's saying, I would rather burn out than rust out. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, if I give my whole life in ministering to you, I will joy in that and rejoice in that. In my heart, I'll be happy I did that. And I will rejoice in that. Now, that's the heart of a missionary, isn't it? That's the heart of a Buna house. That's the heart of our missionaries along this back wall. They truly look at what they do with passion for those they do it for. Because they're doing it for Jesus. Each and every person they minister to. But I want you to notice verse 18. Look with me at verse 18 and listen to what it says. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. He's saying, you know what? We're in this mutually. Does anybody know what mutual destruction means? You remember it from the Cold War? Anybody? I'm sure. Destroyed on both sides. And how does that happen, Louis? Well, back during, during that time, if Russia, if we were to shoot missiles at Russia, they would shoot missiles at us, and we'd both be annihilated. And what were the missiles? They were nuclear missiles. So mutual destruction was the reality. That if all of a sudden we threw a nuclear bomb to Russia, before it ever landed, they would send one to us. And before it ever landed, we would send another. And they would send another. And by the time they all landed, we would be mutually destroyed. That was the Cold War. That mutual understanding... That if I do this, you're going to do that. And if I do that, you're going to do this. And back and forth and back and forth. Here the, the apostle is talking about mutual joy and mutual rejoicing. He says, 
as I give my heart and life to minister to you, you and I serve together and we both have a heart of joy and rejoicing in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And couldn't you hear that this morning as, as our missionary was talking? Did you hear him talking about how excited he was about this young man or that person, that teenager who came to Christ and he saw them just begin to grow in their faith? And when I talked to T on our drive down to Middlebury and she was talking about her ministry to the ladies and to the children in their church over there in Cambodia. And they, they are part of a team that has planted four churches. And as she talks, she's excited. She's rejoicing. She has joy in her heart. That's walking in the moccasin of a missionary. When you get to hear them and you sense and know Hey, they love what they're doing. They love ministering to the people where God has called them. It's one of the things that we would do well to instill in the hearts of our children and our grandchildren. You know, there's a lot of people, I remember years ago I had a young person in the church who was really thinking about going in the ministry and their, their dad came to see me and said, can they make a living at this? Are they going to be okay if they do this? And I told them, I said, yes, they can make a living at this. They're never going to be the richest guy on the block. But, you know, if they're in the ministry and they do well, they'll make a living. You know, because he's thinking, are they going to be impoverished? Are they going to live in a hut somewhere in the back 40 of a... Oh, God's going to take care of them. And even if they are living in a hut in the back 40 of somewhere, they'll be happy as long as they are doing what the apostle is talking about here. Serving and ministering according to the call of God. So here we see the heart of the apostle as a missionary. When we pick it up in verses 19 down through 24, real quick, I'm going to show you that here we see his desire for fellow laborers. And this morning, as Brother Buna was preaching and, and, and talking about discipling and training others and starting churches and trying to raise up in their Bible Institute people to take those churches, it's kind of what Paul's talking about in verses 19 down. Listen to what he says. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. That I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him. That as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So the apostle saying, now listen church of Philippi. I know I came, I worked, I served, we got things established, but I had to leave. Now you've got, you guys got things happening, but I am getting ready to send somebody I've discipled. And I've, I've, I've you know, worked with him, I've mentored him, you've seen it, you know it, you've seen the proof of it in his life. And I'm getting ready to send him to you. Because I want him to come and minister to you and the minister as what? What did he say? Did anybody catch it? The son to a father, the father to a son, connected. Yeah, they're connected. And look at look again with me at verse 19. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He's saying, when I send Timothy, I'm sending somebody who's like-minded to me. Like Louis said, they're connected. Even as a father to a son, sending forth. He's been discipled. He's been trained. He's ready to go forth and do the work. That's what Buna Haas was talking about this morning. That's what our missionaries around the world are doing. They're training and, and instilling people into positions of leadership so that they themselves can carry the work on. As he comes down, he says, however, in verse 21, I don't have anybody else other than Timothy to send, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And that takes, what, what does that take? For somebody to come to a place where they say, I'm willing to lay myself aside and to make Jesus Christ number one in my life. What does that take? Anybody? Selflessness. Say selflessness? Yes. Somebody else? Surrender. Pardon? Surrender. Surrender. Absolute surrender. Anybody else? What's it take? For, for somebody to take their life, you know, the, the dreams and aspirations of their life, and to say, I'm going to set myself aside here. And I want to know the dreams and aspirations Jesus has for me. And I want to do what he wants me to do. I'm looking for input. Come in into your Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah, takes priority, doesn't it? What'd you say, John? Committed to your salvation. Yeah, it starts with salvation for sure. And a commitment to that salvation. Selflessness. Selflessness. Yes. Obedience. Got to be obedient. Compassion. Compassion. Yeah, you have to be moved by the need. Somebody else. Anybody. Humble. What? Humble. Humble. Yeah. I'm going to set myself aside that Christ might rise. Remember what John the Baptist said? I must decrease. He must increase. Anybody else? What's it take in an individual to say, I am going to go ahead and put myself aside and have Jesus Christ be number one? Determination. You do need to be happy in your walk with Christ because you've got to build that and rest in that. Anybody else? Complete commitment. Complete commitment. And all these things are right. But you know what? It's really an accumulation of all of them, isn't it? It takes that individual who says to themselves, I must decrease, he must increase. I do love the Lord and I'm going to lay myself aside that I might go ahead and pursue only what Christ has for me. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to your church in Philippi. He's going to come even as myself. And at the end, the apostle's going to say, and you know, if you look down with me at verse 24, he says, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. 
It's not that the apostle is saying, I'm, I'm advocating my responsibility. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is a continuance of my ministry. And that's what missionaries are doing. You and I, when we send our missionaries forth, it's not that we're saying, well, okay, our responsibility is over. You know, instead it's the Bunahasas of the world. You know, let them take care of it. No, they're an extension of us. That's why we have to remain strong and healthy as a church. That's why we have to invest and give to send. But we're not cutting the cord and saying, there you go, buddy, I hope you do well. No, we're staying late. And we pray for our missionaries. We encourage our missionaries. I want you to read your missionary letters so that you can pray for them with knowledge and understanding. And if the Lord so gives us the opportunity, we should go. And if we can't go, then we, you know what? We can, we can help send supplies. The last thing I said to Buna today, uh, when we got back from Middlebury from lunch and uh, gave him a check from the church for coming and ministering and to pay his expenses and all that, I said to him, now listen, Buna, don't hesitate to let me know if you, there's something we can do to help you. Because every once in a while, these missionaries get out there and they feel like really there's nobody who cares. But we do care. We do want to help. And I do want them to call me. Now I don't want them to call me every single week and say, I need this, I need this, I need this. But when they have a real need, I want them to call. Because either I'll bring it before the church or if it's a desperate need right then, then we'll go ahead and we'll take care of it and then I'll tell the church about it. But absolutely, it's not that we just give up our responsibility. It's just like the apostle says, I'm sending him, I'm sending him maybe even as myself. And I hope, according to God's will, that I'll be able to come myself and make a difference too. Now, maybe sometimes we can go, but every time we should be there to at least help in whatever way we can. Amen? Amen. So tonight, I just wanted to kind of build off of this morning. I wanted to take us on a walk with the apostle and to feel what he felt as a missionary in the very beginning of the church age. It's still the same. We saw it this morning. And all around us are missionaries. We support about 40 missionary projects. And those missionaries have a heart for the things of God. All right. I'm going to let us go. Thank you so much for coming out for Sunday night service. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for the way you provide and the way that you work in our hearts, the way you call people to ministry, the way you provide in their lives. It's exciting to see folks like Buna and T. They have completely committed themselves to you and to your ministry. I pray that you'd be with them as they say goodbye to their family and the, they're planning to be there by midwinter this year. They're gonna say goodbye to their parents, their nieces, nephews, and they're gonna go back to Cambodia. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them, watch over them, for they are completely committed. We thank you for that. But help us to not forget them. Help us to have a heart, a heart to help, a heart to give, 
and even a heart to go. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for coming out tonight.